I'm turning 31 next week. I'm dreaming bigger than I ever have. Venturing out into entrepreneurship is the is the opportunity to be creative, right? Give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, you you analyze and you try it again. We are what we consistently do, right? That's the principle of neuroplasticity. Hi, and welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Mesa. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Klaus Blandong. He's a doctor of physical therapy. We discuss entrepreneurship, movement, injuries, cold plunge, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Shooting one. Oh, do, do, put it back. Put it back. Put it back. LeBron James. You know when they play ball. You're away, so. You saw LeBron had a the, the high score record. Uh... <clears throat> yeah, man, I stayed up to watch it. That oh, was you did? awesome. You stayed up? Oh, so you're true. You're a true basketball fan. I, I love. Basketball, I used to be. Man. I used to be, but I don't know what happened. UFC took over. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> UFC took over. I love ball, man. I've been watching the, the Hurricanes, the, the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. They're a good team, man. They're exciting yeah. to watch. I've been in like five home games. They're like $6. It's six bucks? Yeah, it's super entertaining, man. It's like they play good basketball. Yeah? Yeah. Man, I haven't gotten into Look, the Dolphins traumatized me since I was a kid. And this was our season, right? And that's what they said. They said this was our season. And everybody was telling me this is our season. And I said, I'm not. I saw one game. I think we came back in the fourth quarter. I think it was like the fifth. fifth you saw one game the whole season? One game. And I only saw the second half. And it was an amazing second half that we came back. And after that. You don't remember what, what game it was? No. So you're just a UFC guy right now? Right now, that's, that's all I watch. That's the only sport, yeah. UFC. It's kind of hard, man. There's too many sports. To keep track of just like the players, like in football, the players just fall, they just fall out real quick. So you get used to this team this season, and next season, you got a whole new squad. Mm -hmm. You only mm -hmm. got to make two or three players that still stand out, and then they get turned over again. Basketball is a little bit more consistent because the roster is a little shorter, depending on the team, too, right? And depending on the contracts. But after the whole Bosch LeBron Wade era, I, I kind of fell out. Yeah, I fell out. I had season Very tickets. Fun era. I had season yeah. tickets for for a bit back then. That was dope. It was the stupidest investment I ever made in my life. Really? <laughs> yeah, I thought I was. You gonna, didn't go. I would go, but then I also thought, oh, <laughs> if I don't go, I'm just gonna sell them on eBay and make money. Uh huh. Sometimes I was stuck going to that game, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, but now they got all these ticket uh, companies uh, like StubHub or whatever that you can sell them pretty quick. Yeah, back then it was just eBay. Yeah, eBay. And then somebody comes at you with a fake credit card and you're screwed. You're screwed. It's terrible. <laughs> I've never done anything on eBay, bro. Not I haven't even like searched on eBay for anything. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while since I use it. eBay is not uh, friendly. It's friendly to the consumer, but not to the seller. The seller is just like, ah, you screwed up. <laughs> like, too bad. This was a fraudulent credit card. You're on your own. Yeah. So, it, I never, I never looked. I never even gone to eBay.com, dude. Oh, my brother used to. My brother used to sell uh, these fake Nintendo consoles on there until he got a cease and desist letter. <laughs> got a cease and desist That's letter. That's crazy, bro. My brother boot scam. Selling bootleg, bootleg <laughs> stuff out there. My brother's always hustling, man. He's a he's a worker, but he's always looking for a little side hustle here and there. That was he must. Where did he get those? In his early twenties, I don't even know. He was selling. Once my brother was selling some bootleg. Uh, 
Nikes out of the shop, out of my dad's tire shop. Yeah. And a cop, like a group of cops just rolled up with a truck. Again, cease and desist letter. But we don't know if it was ever reported. So my brother was like, man, did I just get robbed? Or was that like legit? They just like, took his car, his product. Took all his product and just took off. Insane. Bro. He was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Where do you even get? I don't even know where to get fake stuff. China. <laughs> China. You got to go all the way over there. That's no, crazy. but like Canal Street. You've never been to Canal Street in New York? No. In, no? Canal Street? What? You can get anything bootleg. Anything bootleg. Anything. But, but what about here? I mean, somebody who's bringing it from from over there. Dude, I okay, I've been to Beijing, China, right? My okay. friend is an architect. He was living in Beijing, China. And we on the last day there, so there's this building. It's like four stories, and it's everything is bootleg. You walk in, and it's from clothes, watches, purses, computers, phones, textbooks, anything you want that's bootleg, right? So it's aftermarket. Somebody just stole put it, it and put it together. So on the last day, we had the opportunity. Oh, and the cool part is you get to bargain for this stuff, right? So me and my friend, were, we were buying a fake Rolex back then and fake uh, like Louis Vuitton because it was Christmas was coming. So I wanted to bring everybody back like Louis Vuitton wallets and purses. And we we go ahead and we go and I'm finding out. I'm like, oh, I got this one for $4. He's like, actually, I got the same one for $3. So every day was like another hustle to see like who gets the lowest price. Wow. And so the last day we were like, do we go to the Great Wall of China or do we go back to the flea market and hustle and see how low we how cheap we could get these different products? I never been to the Great Wall of China. Wow, <laughs> That's start. crazy. Man. But it was such a fun it's it was fun. Such, yeah. It's a fun hustle. And the products are, are so good. Like a, a legit Rolex. Like you you cannot you tell, tell the, the difference. difference. And then here, somebody will sell you that fake Rolex for $150, $200. And there it was like, oh, I got it for $25. Oh, I got it for $20. Oh, I got it for $15. What's the bottom? So that was like the game was hot. We don't even know what the real <laughs> bottom of this is. So Whatever's in your pocket, dude. It's bizarre. That's cool. I was like 20, I think I was like 26, 27 years old. I don't even remember how old I was, but it was, it was a good time. That's crazy yeah. how the business works in different places. You hustle. know, the hustle, the grind. Hey, give me that picture right there. Ten bucks. <laughs> Ten bucks, yeah. It's yours. Why not? I just got we were talking about how far the dollar goes in, in Medellin in Colombia. And it's insane. Um, my friend who's living over there right now, he was telling me, he's like, Hey, two plus two is four. <laughs> he's like, it just money makes sense over here. In Miami, the cost of real estate is going up, the cost of food, the cost of fine or not even fine dining, just dining and going out, going in the alehouse is expensive. Um, I know, man. So it's 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 crazy. Remember when fifty wings used to cost fifty bucks? Is that what it was? I don't know. Oh. Like 50, <laughs> 50 wings used to be like at least fifty bucks. You know, you're like you're gonna pay fifty five, sixty bucks for for fifty wings. Now, dude, it's like one hundred and twenty bucks. I believe it. Two dollars a wing, two and a half dollars a wing is no limit. So, prime example. I think I told I was telling I forgot who I told this to yesterday, but me and you we go to an Argentinian restaurant right here in Coconut Grove. We both get a steak. We both get a side. I get fries. You get a salad. We both get a glass of wine, and we get an appetizer. The bill comes. Boom. 150 bucks. Okay. Same meal, except you have three or four cocktails each, right? Let's say three cocktails each in Colombia, and you're paying $40, $38. Like, it doesn't make sense. It, no, no, bro. It doesn't. 
the, some of the cocktails are the same price as an entree. Like if you if you go order a cocktail, it's like fifteen, sixteen dollars, twenty two dollars. Look, the Grand Mercy Wednesday nights. Go go over there. And you know the worst part about it is you're gonna order it, bro. You're gonna order because you're, you're there. You're gonna order the cocktail. You're gonna order it. Like damn, sixteen bucks for a cocktail. <laughs> but you know you're gonna order it, man. And yeah, it's the same thing. When I was in Puerto Rico, man, you you get a churraco. And you're getting a churraco that folds over, bro. You know, it's like one fold, two fold. And then there's like this mountain of, what is it, mofongo? Mofongo, yeah. You know, the whole plate is $18. Is that, you're, are you Puerto Rican? No, no, I'm from Nicaragua. Oh, that's right. But that's I love Puerto Rico, man. That's a paradise over Is there. the exchange as, as drastic as it is? No, you pay with dollars. No, 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 but uh, well, I, you're right. I, I guess it's the cost of goods <clears throat> much lower than it is here. Yeah, man. Yeah? Like, you'll get a plate of food. A big plate of food, delicious food. Everything takes long over there. You yeah. order a plate of food, you're going to wait for it for like 30 minutes. It's Caribbean time. Because it's, it's, you know, they're like, ah, right, we're going to cook it up now. You know, they're slicing it. That's what I imagine, that they're preparing it on the spot, you know? Yeah. And they're taking their time and, you know. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I see. Putting bro. a little bit of sasong on it. Slats, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a paradise over there, man. I, I love it. I'll go in every year if I could. Every year, if I could. I haven't been to Puerto Rico since 2017, <laughs> I think. And yeah, last time I went, I had a great time. So A great time. Uh, like going to La Placita or something like that. You just see something different. Like people your age, people a lot older than you. You know, like your mom. Like you would see people like your mom out there partying. You know, dancing salsa, live salsa. It's a good feeling, man. No, yeah. No one's out there trying to stunt or, you know, trying to do something. I remember I have a friend, she lives over there, and I would say, we, we went with a big party, so I was like, hey, Jackie, where, where can we get um a bottle? She's like, a bottle? We don't do that, bro. Go to the bar yeah. <laughs> get a drink. <laughs> go to the bar and get a drink. Or go to the corner store across the street, buy the bottle, and come sit yeah, outside. sit outside, yeah. There's no, pop, there's no, there's no bottle popping. There's no none of this nothing, going on with man. the lights, right? Nothing. And I was like, okay, I'll go to the bar, no problem. It was fun, you know. It's 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 a lot of fun. Everything's like, you know, everyone's out there for the sole purpose of having a good time, and that it's a good feeling, man. You wake up, everyone's chill, everyone's relaxing. I love it, man. That's a good vacation spot. I think Latin America is like. I think Latin America just has a different vibe. So my so I mean the the best part about growing up in Miami is how close it is to America. That's a joke, <laughs> <laughs> but for real. <laughs> It's true. It went over my head. No, no, no. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah no, but it's true. Yeah. The best part of Miami is like, bro, we're basically, we grew up in a Latin American country Absolutely. in the United States, right? And so, but there is so much pressure here. There's a lot of pressure to be somebody, to look a certain way, to to just, it's pretentious. It is pretentious. Yeah. What you drive, what you wear matters. Uh, matters. Right? It matters. To me, it doesn't. I really don't care. I mean, you could come in a, in a hoopty, you could come in a Toyota Corolla, just as much as you come in, in a Bugatti. I, I really don't care. Mm -hmm. um, but that that is the vibe here, man. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter to you personally, but you can tell that it, it holds weight. Oh, it holds a it lot holds of weight. It holds weight here, for yeah. sure. So you end up like playing that game a little bit, even though it doesn't really matter to you. You you live in the world. You live in you live here. Yeah. So you know you got to be a part of it somehow. It's weird. It's kind of hard to explain. It's true. It's true what you're saying because somebody at first when I had my little office, 
um, they told me, they were like, no, dude, you got to just get a big office with beautiful windows and a, and a crazy view, and you got to come suited up every day to work. Like, even if you're broke, you got to come with a suit. And I was just like, what? I was like, I'm just trying to take care of patients, man. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to go broke to try to impress patients that aren't even walking in the door yet. Like, I'm going to show up in a suit and yeah. be sitting alone in a room. Like, it's, it sounded it sounded so bizarre. And they're like, oh, but you never know. And I'm like, nah, just I'll be myself. Like, I'd rather just be myself. Because um, I don't think, I don't need to perform for anybody. This is not a song and dance. I feel like once you start offering somebody a service and you're authentic and you're transparent and you're helping, dude, that's it. That's going to be contagious on its own. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't I don't believe in that. And I, I feel like you could be super well-dressed and fashionable. Look, this dude that just walked in, I was like, hey, look sharp. But he's also professional. He's also caring. He's also compassionate. That's going to go just as far. Now, he looks good, too. He made me want to go put on a little jacket, right? <laughs> Got to get one of those. Yeah, but yeah. but not really. <clears throat> no, I get it. No, that's where, like, the values are different, you know? You know, people might see the value, the external value of the suit. It looks good. It's attractive. And there are like, there is some research where, you know, some patients have better outcomes when someone's more professional. That's why like professionalism is stressed and stuff. Cause you have a tie, you know, you're clean and cut. It, 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 it sometimes drives better outcomes, but you don't have to be flashy. That's true. You know, you don't have to sit in an office in a suit by yourself. Yeah. Like you definitely don't. <laughs> with a beautiful skyline view and, yeah. no, and, and no clients. With a bank account just plummeting. <laughs> no clients, man. So, uh, so it, I just thought I found that so, so interesting, you know. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you, and man, sometimes I'm like, I don't need that, man. You know, you, you get you get in that you get caught in the loop because so many people around you are doing it. And it's like you got to step back and be like. I don't really care about that stuff. Bro. Yeah, you have to really look. I'm gonna inward. rock this t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Black, hey, black t-shirt and jeans, bro. It's a classic look. You can't deny it. You can't go wrong. Can't deny it. Black t-shirt and jeans. It so. still works. It works. It works every time. Damn, unfortunately, <laughs> that is like my go-to wardrobe. Like sometimes I'm like, damn, Adrian, you got to step up a little bit. You gotta, you gotta put some effort into this. But it's like, but a black shirt and jeans just it's crispy with with the Kohans, and you're good to go. Crispy, bro. It doesn't matter, you know, it's what it's what makes you feel comfortable. I have a friend like that too. He he makes you know, you know, luckily like he's he's a good friend, so he's disclosed his income and stuff. Yeah. That's always a weird topic, but whatever. He knows um he always goes out with a backwards hat and a t shirt and jeans, bro. Does that's it. That's his go to. And he'll tell you, he's like, nah man, back backwards hat, t shirt. He's like, that's his prompt. <laughs> so why do you think it's weird to talk about money? Um I think it's weird. I don't think it's weird. Yeah. I know it's like taboo. I'll ask anyone, especially someone who's in like my field. Yeah. I think it's important. Um, but I think it's weird because people either are, it brings a little bit of shame. Like if they don't make As a much, certain yeah. amount or, you know, are, are on the spec on the opposite side, like they know that maybe you don't make that much or something like that. I don't know. But I think it, it is it, it it brings about feelings. Everything you know comes out to like what you're, how you look. Yeah. So if I just feel like look, money's money's numbers and numbers are objective <clears throat> and unemotional, and I feel like if we could talk a little bit more openly about money, I'm gonna learn a lot more from you, like because finances drive everything, right? Absolutely. And, and now I'm f- almost forty years old. 
running a business and I'm learning on the fly about finances and taxes and tax breaks and deductions and expenses. Dude, I should have known this since I was 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So the more that we make conversations about money taboo, the more that we're just setting our kids up for failure is what I think. We're setting ourselves up for failure. For sure. But that's where it came from. Like, did you talk to your parents about money? No, my parents were broke, man. They were trying to make it. <laughs> they never want they never wanted you to know like what their financial struggles were. So you never really asked. You know, you didn't get accustomed to that. If you did ask, it was they were like, Don't worry about it. You know, just go to school or worry about your grades or something like that. You know, so like that conversation never came up. There's a good podcast, um, um, from this dude. His name is Ramit Sethi, okay. and he's a he's a finance guy. You know, kind of like Dave Ramsey, but a lot a lot less shameful. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave Ramsey makes you feel like a bag of dirt. Yeah, like, yeah, like if you're, you're not dumb, saving, what are you doing? If yeah. you're not saving a dollar a day, bro, you're not doing nothing. Yeah. So, but no, Ramit Sethi's cool. And on his podcast, he invites people, couples in specific, to talk about their financial, like their finances. Mm-hmm. And it's like so many people don't discuss finances, even in a relationship. And they're like, we don't know how much money we make. We don't know how much this is. How much debt your partner has. Yeah. Dude, I feel like that. What if what if you, you were with somebody for years and you go to purchase a home with them and you find out that their credit score is 560? <laughs> like, what do you it's do? It's a bad time to find out. What bro. do you do? It's a little bit late in the it's game. A, it's, a, it's a bad time to find out. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You should be able to, you should be comfortable with asking those questions. But, you know, like, you can be comfortable with something and the other person is not. So you got to be like, I don't know. Try, you, you be considerate. You know, you consider of other people's feelings, but you bring it up anyway. You're not going to avoid the question because it's an important question. Yeah. Because if I'm being considerate about your feelings, you better be considerate about the interest rate we get on that mortgage payment when it's eight point nine percent. How are you going to feel that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you so, better help me pay for this thing. It, it's it's definitely a an important thing, bro. It, I'm I don't think it's taboo. I'll raise that question anytime. You know, even in interviews when when people are like, Don't you know, bring don't bring up income on the first uh on the first you you were talking about it earlier. Yeah. It's like, oh somebody I, I agree with you that right off the bat, probably income is not the you know, the most important thing, but it is important. Yeah, no, so let me just reiterate. I I mentioned to you that um people have approached me about a job opportunity and the first question they say is, What do you pay for this position? Yeah. And it's like, Well, don't you know about don't you wanna know about the role? about the culture of the institution, about what we're trying to do here, about what we bring, their values. Yeah. Not just what's the dollar amount per hour, what's the dollar amount per day. Now, you're showing interest in the position, sure, but let's sit down and talk about the role to see if you if we could even work together to begin with. Not just, yo, what how much money you paying, dog? How much money? No, it's not how much money. It's like, hey, how do we work together? How can we build something that's sustainable and lasts and helps people? That's that's where I'm at. Yeah. No, I completely agree. But so how much you paying? How much you paying, dog? <laughs> that ain't for me. Not for me. <laughs> Super cool place, but it's not for yeah. me. Not enough, man. <laughs> not enough. Yeah, I need, I need more money. Keep on coming. I need more money. Where the dollars at? <laughs> Where's the bread? Where's the bread? <laughs> That's chopped and screwed, dude. That's that's old school right there. But we're going off on a tangent. We're probably like twenty <laughs> minutes in. Um, so I brought. So obviously, you're a doctor of physical therapy. We're sitting here talking about finances, but it's okay. We can jump around and talk about anything. Um, 
I feel like I can still hear the voice in the background, like if it's booming, but it's really not. <laughs> it's messing with me, man. The whole chopped and screwed version of the podcast, dude. That'd be that'd be cool. So you're a doctor of physical therapy. You were working before doing home health, um, neurological. Uh, tell me a little bit about the work you were doing. I'm sorry. So that's kind of the work I'm doing now. But initially, when I got out of school, took a job at a um, at a rehab hospital. And uh, for those who don't know what a rehab hospital is, it's a uh, like a specific hospital just for intense rehab. So you're gonna go there for the sole purpose of getting rehab from PT, OT, speech. You know, three hours a day, five days a week. And that's after, you know, an accident or, you know, you had a stroke or a brain injury, so on and so forth. So I took a job there. Um, I learned a lot for sure. And then I jumped to Jackson. I went to Jackson, Jackson Health, you know, such a reputable place. They come with, you know, they have academic programs associated with it. It was a no brainer. So I went out there, learned a lot as well, but... um, then I also left too. I've, I've done it almost every setting here in PT that you can. So that's acute care, you know, when you first go into the hospital, often admission, maybe acute rehab, um, outpatient therapy in the clinic, and home health. And I've, for the last two years, I was an assistant, like not a professor, but a lab assistant in, in at the university that I graduated from. Oh, nice. So, Where, where'd you graduate from? University of St. Augustine okay, for awesome. health sciences. Here in the Gables. Yeah, I know exactly where it is. Yeah, yeah. And Gabby it's, works there too, no? Gabby, yeah, yeah, yeah. She does work there. She She's a full-time faculty there oh, okay. for the OT program. Got you. So they do, you know, a doctorate level PT. And I think they do doctorate level OT as well. So, yeah. That was a cool experience too. That's where I kind of, you know, got what? comfortable with teaching and public speaking. Why'd you get into physical therapy? Um, When I was younger... I first got into like exercise science. So I was a CrossFit coach when I was 18 years old. No way. Yeah. So um, I would get a lot of questions like, hey, uh, coach, I got a, you know, I got a pain right here or something like that. And, uh, you know, how come I can't squat like this guy? And dude, I didn't know how to answer any of those questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you tried, you know, like, ah, oh, stretch this out. Yeah, walk it off, bro. You know, that's the that's the common the common one is stretch it out, man. <laughs> Just stretch it stretch before, stretch after, you know. So but it was you know, that doesn't always work. So of course that caught up and um I, I realized that I was limited. I was like, I don't I don't know the answer to these questions. Who does? Even the other more experienced trainers like didn't really have those answers. So i I met a PT and I asked him a similar question. He gave me a a solid answer. I was like, wow, these dudes kind of know a lot mm-hmm. in terms of like exercise. <clears throat> so I went to Shadow One and then I really found out that they knew a lot. And then as I kept observing, because part of going into PT school, you got to observe, I really found out that it was far past exercise. It was like, you know, significant in the way that you can restore people's quality of life and get them back to doing something they really love to do and across like you know multiple multiple populations so it's not just your fit person it's 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 your grandmother it's your mom it's um it's your babies you know there's neonatal stuff happening man like that's a whole nother world of pt that you know i'm not even familiar with where there's like 
you know, in the what's the what's the name of it where the incubators? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When there's preemie, uh, preemies and stuff, that's that's a whole other world. You see, like I kind of I don't even know the terms. Yeah. It's it's insane, but I realized how diverse it was and how helpful it was, and that's what really drove me to become a PT. Awesome, man. Actually, you you mentioned the incubators and NICU and stuff. I had to NICU. I had to float to the NICU a couple of times. <laughs> You know, you could only touch those babies for so much. They have what's called touch times because they burn from the from being stimulated just by a human touch. They burn calories and so they don't grow properly. So literally they have time slots throughout the day where you actually you hold and feed and then you put them back in the incubator and you don't touch and you don't stimulate. And then the time comes back around. You hold, you feed and you put them back. Well, imagine doing physical therapy in the NICU, bro. Oh, no, I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. And not only that, yo, NICU nurses are no joke. Those ladies, because think about it. They have the care of this premature, fragile human that they're responsible for. And then here we come. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to let me just turn this baby real quick. (laughs) No, they they are like pit bulls. They will stop you on your tracks. They care, man. Yeah, they actually care. They They really do do care. care. And they have to be like that. Yeah. In order for that baby to survive, you better exactly. Have, you can't have somebody like me who's all loose, like, oh, it's okay, don't worry. No, yeah, no, no. Not that you didn't care either. But. No, no, no. Just the personality type that that can really function and thrive in that environment. Yeah. That's you got to be me. a special kind of person. It ain't me. It ain't me either, it brother. Ain't me. It's not me either. So dope. So you got into physical therapy, and what? Any regrets about getting into physical therapy? That's a good question. Yeah. Um. I'd say no, man. I have so much fun doing what I do. You know, I think probably when people do answer yes, it's about money. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't, we're not like super, it's not lucrative, but it is a comfortable salary. Like you can live a good life, but you know, it's not like where you're going to break 150K or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the the salary is is comfortable, but it's not maybe as ambitious as people would want it to be or as big. So I think that's where that stems from. And I've battled with that too, of course. Like, man, you know, I want to make more money, but, um, but I love what I do. It's, uh, it's so meaningful to, and rewarding to, to be like in a position to be the light sometimes, or to help someone through a really tough time in their life and come out like on the other end. Um, and just be like the positive in it, you know? That that's that's the funnest part about it for me, and that's where the value comes from. So, I think there's a million ways to make money. You know, you yeah. can find a way, but ultimately, like it's about a purpose, mm-hmm. and you strive for it. Like you, you don't always know what that is, but as you do, as you practice something, you know, more of it comes to life. So, I think definitely no regrets. Dope. And I've learned so much and met so many cool people. And I'm not done learning. And that's a fun part about it, too, is that you're a lifelong learner. There's so much new things coming out. so innovative. Physical therapy has grown so much from, you know, in the last 10, 15 years where before it was like, you know, it went from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree to a doctoral Mm -hmm. degree. And there's nuances you can argue about how beneficial that is or not. But the fact is you learn a lot and your education grows. So I've been super thankful for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... um when somebody says lifelong learner, some people get turned off by that. 
Mm-hmm. Some people think, oh, my God, I have to learn and keep studying and keep learning. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you really want to <laughs> help, then you have to you have to go with the times. And the more technology and studies and research comes out, you need to kind of follow that. Um, it's okay to question it, but you definitely have to learn if you want to keep helping people. I mean, if you were using techniques that happened in the early 2000s or in the 90s or in the 80s compared to what they're doing today, you'd yeah. probably be lost, right? Super. I mean, like... Look at the lobotomy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro. If you do that, like you're going to jail these days, you know. So for sure, uh, you have to evolve, and um, there's so many ways to grow as a as a clinician. You know, there's constant courses, there's evidence, and of course, it's not easy to like read articles every now and then or stay on top of it. But it, it's so beneficial, and it's. It, it comes down to like, are you really interested in your job? You know, do you really have fun doing it? Does it really inspire you? So if you had, if that comes from your job, like it's okay. You know, it, it drives you to, to grow. Of it, course. It drives you to grow. So. Um, and you mentioned earlier about it not paying a lot. I think m- most jobs in the medical field when you're working for a health system have a ceiling. Mm-hmm. They have a cap for Absolutely. that position, right? And so it has to get to the point where you either have to shift your role or get people to also complement your role that that work right alongside with you. In other words, for you, and we talked about this the other day, um, as a physical therapist, you probably need either, either physical therapy assistance to help the number of patients that you can see per hour, especially if you're running your own business, or, and that's an insurance-driven model, and if you're going the cash model, then yeah, then you have to look for patients who could afford that, that can that can actually that can afford it that can pay that rate that will compensate you and allow you to live a better lifestyle so it's like there's no right or wrong and there's there's a million other options you could come up with whether it's con- concierge services um going doing home visits and depending on the population you're working with but ultimately yes the ceiling is going to be 150k let's say if you're working for an institution but if you develop your own model and create your own system then the sky's the limit, right? Yeah. Is it going to change your role? It could or it doesn't necessarily have to because me running this practice, I could still be seeing patients every day if I wanted to. Um, but you, if that's still your passion and your drive and you feel like you really want to invest and see patients, you could do that. Or you can hire other people to take your place and then step back and run it. I, I feel like there's a million ways to slice it, but as long as you, like you said, as long as you have a purpose and as long as it's driven, uh, you have a sense of passion to really move whatever it is, either yourself or an entity forward, I think it's, it works out. I agree with you 100%. So, like, most people who go into healthcare, you know, generally they care about the person in front of them. A lot of them are empaths. You know, they have a good skill of being empathetic. Mm-hmm which is just being in someone else's shoes and you want to you want to help them. You want to make an impact to that one person. When you're when you're a clinician, you do make an impact 100% for to the person in front of you, whoever you're treating, but at an administrative level or if you open a practice, now your impact can can be bigger, yeah. you know. You not only are you impacting the people you directly see, but the people who work under you, the people who are there seeing um, so your reach is larger, 
you know? Yeah. It's just different. It's, it's true. Different. It is exponential because now you have multiple providers, et cetera, that hopefully follow your model, your culture, your values, your mission, et cetera. Yeah. But you're not getting... You're not treating anymore. But from an ego standpoint, you're not getting that feedback where you have that sense of satisfaction like, ah, I really helped this person. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, even though it's an... Not, it's not altruistic, but you're really doing it selflessly. Mm-hmm. You're really helping them because you really want to help and you really go over the top to yeah. invest yourself into that patient. You don't get that anymore from an administrative level, right? I, I wouldn't know. I've never been at the administrative level, but I can I can imagine that when you... you you've done it, such a good job, Adrian, of like being involved in your direct community. Um, I really admire that because like, you know... Maybe you're not making an impact to everyone who, you know, walks in the clinic, but you're you this AMP mental health is a part of it. You know, you created this and it reaches out to people that don't even walk in, you know. Maybe just watch your stories or went to your boot camp, the free boot camp. That was so fun, bro. Yeah. You know, that was, that was cool. That's just a, a something that you did for the community to raise awareness or for them to participate in something. So I imagine that that's satisfying at an administrative level or when somebody speaks well about your practice or the referrals keep coming. So yeah, you, the role switches and maybe the feedback does as well, but I, I like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's still a, a reward mechanism that exists. It is just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And honestly, part of this podcast allows me to sit down with people and no, I'm, you're not my patient, obviously, um, but it allows me to have these conversations that are much more drawn out and much more like analytical in terms of life and asking questions and having a back and forth. Um, but I feel like this symbolizes a little bit of the the interaction that I'm missing, right? Yeah. Okay. Because it's an intimate sit down. Yeah, there's freaking cameras and lights and Gabe is back here. But it's it's still... <laughs> What's up, Gabe? Yeah. <laughs> what up, <laughs> Gabe? What up, Gabe? Gabe needs a mic back there. I've been saying it. We should, yeah, today, you should. When we're done, we need to order a mic. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I guess it's just different. I don't I forgot what I was even going to say. You were talking about how, um, it's different, but it gives you what you need. Yeah. It gives me what I need. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, this gives me at least a little bit of that where, um, cause I, Klaus, how many, how long, when, this is the first time we've sat down for this long and having just a conversation, you and I. A hundred percent. And so every time I sit in here and you throw on these headphones and I'm with somebody who's across from me. Um, like you're not expecting anything from me and I'm not expecting anything from you. We're just learning from each other right yeah. now. Yeah. Which to me, that's pretty dope. Um as Isn't a clinician. It is crazy, but that's the day and age that we're living in today. We're living in a day and age where if I tell a CEO of a random company, hey, um, do you want to go to lunch and grab a coffee? I want to pick your brain. I, I need a mentor. I need somebody to help me. I'm busy. I can't. I can't. But now you tell somebody. Yo, I got a podcast room. We got cameras. We're going to post it online. And boy, people show up quick. People, people love it. But man. it's okay. And that's fine. I'll play the game. And I enjoy it. And I think it's, it's cool. fun. And not only that, I think it's cool because these conversations get shared. And whoever wants to listen, I don't care if it's five people, 10 people, 100 people, um, somebody's going to gain something from these conversations. You know, yeah, for sure. If, if one person gets inspired, like, that's a big deal. It's a dub. And that's a that's that what you just said. If one person's life has changed, then it makes all the difference in the world. That was ingrained in me since I was a kid because I grew up in the church, and I realize now like it's 
I'm truly living a lot of the the philosophies that the church instilled in me, whether I like it or not. I was indoctrinated. <laughs> There's no was turning back in your brain. <laughs> There's no turning back. I've been you were programmed. brainwashed. <laughs> no, nah, but it's it's a good it's a you good brainwash. It's a great brainwash. Yeah, man. It's a freaking great brainwash. It is. It is. Because at is. the end of the day, I know that I'm I'm putting out love and I get love in return. But anyhow, you're, never, you're not gonna run out of it either. No, nah, I'm not, and I'm not, I I don't want to. I don't want to. Exactly. Um, so. so yesterday we were talking, I mean, we were, to, let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit, cause I know that you're transitioning right now in your role and you're looking to do something a little bit different. And you came in and you were speaking to me and Willie and that's when we were like, dude, this should have been a podcast. So let's, let's, just, let's jump on some mics and talk about this. All right. So what were some questions that you came in with that we, that we kind of answered for you? Um, yeah. So I think the first question I asked you guys was like, how did you get, like contracted with insurances right like because then you know it's been a battle um you know there's such there's like stigma with insurances even sometimes because they're you know they're limiting or whatever sometimes they don't want to pay but they do pay out a lot yeah you know they pay out a lot of people they they do help so you know it's been a battle where i'm kind of like which route do i want to take do i really want to deal with insurances or do I want to be a cash-based service? Now, everyone has insurance, like you and Willie, and you, you and Willie pointed out. So many people have insurance and want to go through that insurance, um, and those that don't have, you know, Medicare or Medicaid. So, in in taking that that respect, like, it's so niche to ask for cash. You know, mm-hmm. not that it's not valuable. But it's so much more accessible to people and your reach is larger with with insurances. Mm-hmm. So it's been a battle for me. Like, man, which route do I take? Which model is really going to bring me the the best, you know, the best satisfaction? Because you, you want to grow a practice not just to make money, but to to have something that you're proud of, something that's impactful, something that fulfills your mission, your purpose. Um and you don't want to violate that in any way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a different one, but you got to look at both sides. There's always a dichotomy. So I wanted to come and ask you who does take insurance and is open to it. You know, like I wanted to know what that process was like, um, and if it's it's been if you found it beneficial, useful. That was my first question to you guys. Yeah, I think, and this is obviously my opinion. I just think that if you're building a cash-based business, the model is going to grow much slower mm-hmm. because of the lack of access. Um, and it's going to de- be extremely dependent on how you market and to who you market. Because now you can only look at the, the upper socioeconomic class that can actually pay out of pocket per physical therapy session. Um, the insurance-driven model most people who work in almost any company uh, have insurance. So if they get injured, they have access because they have a copay, they have a deductible, they meet those needs, and now they go and see a specialist for a set rate. It's affordable. Now you turn around, you build an insurance company, and you have a patient and you have payment. And you have business. Yeah, you have a stable business model. Yeah. And um, one that probably doesn't take as long as it would for a cash-based model because then – it's so niche, like your reach has to be large, you know, it's like a per capita, you know, a much 
smaller piece of the population that can afford it. Of course. And then, like you were saying, this, you're, you're, you're tailoring to the upper class. And to be honest, when you're talking about health, like those people don't have as many health problems because that's just the health disparity. When you, when, when you belong to a higher social economic class, you're more educated, you're making more healthier decisions, you can buy healthier food. You have you more can... access to preventative medicine. Exactly. You're going to treat those ailments much sooner before they're affecting your life because as soon as you start feeling something, you're already checking out what's going on. Why? Because yeah. you have finances to do that. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, man, when you talk about like the prevalence of like back pain, this, that, or any sort of health condition, it, it, it's more middle class, lower crap lower social economic classes because of of their underserved communities yeah. so so yeah it's 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 kind of like it's been a battle to decide which route you want to take um because you always consider the the monetary value and the success you know it's much more lucrative probably but i think to get your your feet off the ground and to have a, a stable business like like you guys said you know you pointed out that hey that that's going to always bring you some some business. It's accessible to people. And if you do a good job, more people are going to want to come to you. And then you could always build out other programs to to make more money. Yeah. You know, other useful programs, valuable programs that, that people would want to pay for, you know. So I think that's, I'm already, like, my mind's made up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not really struggling with it now, um, but I was. And, and. It's it's so important to come and just ask, you know, some people that you know are successful or that you want to that you want to kind of embody like uh, who's doing a good job. Yeah. I, I see you, bro. You know, you you care about what's happening here. You know, the message that you put out. Oh, for sure. You care about those things. It's not just, you know, a, a get money or get rich you know, scheme or anything like that. There's no getting rich quick here, man. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. You're not trying to cut corners to to take yourself, you know, to another level, like, economically. You, you're trying to make an impact, and that's valuable for me. So it, it's about finding like-minded people um, who do things the way that you, you know, imagine yourself doing it and, and, and asking them, brother. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys. No, for sure. And we're here for anybody, honestly, that comes through. When you left that day, me and Willie were talking about it because we were just kind of shooting back and forth. Uh, some different ideas and and consulting was one of them and we were just like man how cool is it when you have the knowledge that somebody can come to you and just say hey like i need help or i need some guidance and it's like oh let's sit down and let's have this conversation and it, we want to have more of those talks with more people because there's a lot of people like you out there who are physical therapists nurses nurse practitioners pas doctors mds uh, you name it researchers people who want to do clinical trials who have ideas and ha who are well-intentioned but just don't know how to start. And, I mean, I, I don't mind showing you, like, hey, you see that brick wall over there? Well, I banged my head on that one a couple of times. No, you know, just speaking it as, <laughs> yeah. as an analogy. Like, I, I banged my <laughs> I was I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I banged my head on a couple of walls, right? Yeah. And let me save you some blood and some some pain. Some tears, yeah. And let me show you the rope to just climb over this wall so you keep going. Um, whether it's dealing with insurance or dealing with um, legalities or, or patient issues or setting up a website, whatever it is. Like, I would rather show somebody and talk to them about it versus watching them make the same mistakes that I made. Because then 
my efforts like it's like dude i already broke my head there don't don't do the same thing yeah that's what i this is what i learned from it yeah for sure and i, I think the coolest part about talking to you and willie was for me it was wait like, shout out to our new cfo willie espinosa william casas what a espinosa. cool dude yeah he's a cool dude what a cool dude yeah, smart boy. too like i didn't Super know he was smart. gonna start spinning all those you know business strategies at me i was like man this guy's a this is a good place to be. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, my boys. Yeah, uh, he's, he's, super he's sharp. got it, man. He's he's got the juice. So he's got the juice. Man. He's got the juice. Um, so, but the coolest thing was that he never shot down any of my ideas, and uh, you know, I think uh, the valuable part of anyone had an open ear. You yeah. know, it wasn't like here's the blueprint, dude. If you don't do this, you're gonna fail. No, and no. that's uh, not that failing is bad either. Yeah. You know, but. It was cool that you guys heard me out. Dude, you're sitting in a podcast room in a mental health practice <laughs> where you met me through a boot camp in a park. Yeah. Like, unorthodox is my middle name. You know, like I would tell you to do the same thing. Like if you come with an idea, maybe, you know, basketball and somehow you want to work specifically with basketball players because I know you have a passion for it and that's your niche and that's just the, the, the sphere you want to get into and work only with student athletes who play basketball. Okay. Cool. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Yeah. There's no right or wrong, yeah, but there's yeah. going to be a lot of people along the way who tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. It's never going to work, bro. Hey, you got a good job with That's that. hard, bro. Yeah. It's really hard. You got good insurance. I mean, what are you doing? This is the same talk I had with, with Gabe about when he was leaving uh, Apple. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Like everybody's telling you about all these, oh, bro, you have a good job. That's a <laughs> It's a good institution. The benefits. Yeah, the benefits. Bro. The benefits. The benefits, bro. The benefits. Perfect timing, dude. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Yeah. But it's true. The benefits. Why do they, they tell you? And I think it's because, at least here in Miami, right? This is my analysis of, of why we feel this way and why we don't want to take risks. Our families already took the biggest risk that they had to take, which is abandoning their culture, their language, their land, every sense of familiarity that they had. And so now we're in the safety net where our kids are good. We're in the United States. We got a passport. We can go anywhere. We're in the land of the free. So let me put you in jail called <laughs> benefits, right? Instead of saying, damn, I took this big ass risk and look at everything it brought us. You should take a big ass risk too and see where it takes you. No, we do the opposite. Yeah, we, we shoot it down. We do the opposite, right? So it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird when you think about it that our parents and our families and our friends and everybody around us wants us to just be safe. And it's like, dude, but it's risk. scary. You know, yeah. I get it. Like people, it's scary to like be in a in a hole or not make money or you know. I guess that those are the, those are real things, dude. Like. Oh, I felt it before, bro. For I sure. Felt it. For sure. And but you, you know, it's it's totally warranted and valid to have those scared feelings, you know? Like that's always going to be it's uncertain. A anything uncertain brings you know some serious serious discomfort and um that's all right. You got to stay curious, you know, what could happen on the other side. You know, what if it was like the opposite or who knows what it's going to be like a lot of people are scared of failing but failing always brings an opportunity to learn to to do something a little bit better and and try again you know if you try again 
you know who you know you only got to hit the jackpot once dude you know you 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 can hit that lever you know 15 10 times roll that dice 15 10 times you hit the jackpot once you're going to be happy yeah you know that's the that's the risk reward so I, I think so many people's problem is that they're always asking themselves asking themselves what if what if this doesn't work what if it all goes wrong what if they don't show up what if i lose all my money but what if everything goes right bro what if everything works out exactly how you planned? A hundred percent. It's a different life. Yeah. And th- dude, uh, now like I'm turning 31 next week and um, I'm dreaming bigger than I ever have. Good you for know, you, for some, for some reason, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't know when it started happening, but there's no limits to what you can think of and dream of. Um, the future should always be exciting because it hasn't happened yet. So you have that like opportunity to write it and think about it in the way that you want. So dude, if you if you go into the what ifs, do it in a way that excites you, you know? What if what if it goes well? What if, you know, it it happens the way I I want it to happen? And it should always be exciting. If if it is, then you have something to look forward to. It drives your motivation. It makes you tick. You know, what inspires you? Use that to to dream. So that's been that's been the funnest part is kind of like exploring that and and really, really being excited about what could happen. Why do you think at the age of 31 that this is happening to you? Because this this let me tell you, it's inspiring to hear. It's refreshing for me because I didn't start feeling that way till I mean, just recently, honestly. Um, I didn't feel that way at 31. I was just locked into my job and just doing my thing and I had dreams in the background, but again, that silver spoon, baby. Benefits. <laughs> Benefits. Yeah. Uh, dude, no, same for me. Um, let's see. When I was in school, you know, I was trying to get out. You know, you you get into the world. Gosh, uh, this this whole like kind of self discovery kind of. Uh, first of all, I started with like therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had therapy for like over the course of five years, two and a half years, on and off. Um, Super helpful. I I never went through anything. I didn't didn't seek out therapy because I was going through a crisis. It was just more like a a curiosity. Mm -hmm. And and that left a lot of room for me to like self-discover. And then then you really start growing. It's like I started reading books. (laughs) I never read books before that weren't, uh, you know, like, hey, part of this, te- you know, got to read, you got to pass this test, you're going to read this book. I never read for leisure or like, not, you know, fictional books or anything like that. That wasn't my thing. But I started reading books about just self-development, psychology of money, codependency, you name it. You know, those things like really, really inspired me to be open and not afraid of uncertainty excited about the future i don't know it, it, it's it's happened over time it wasn't like you know an overnight thing where you read one book and now you're you suddenly changed mm-hmm. that doesn't happen like that yeah it, it does happen and what is it what's the word um when you have like an epiphany yeah an epiphany an epiphany okay. when you have an epiphany that sparks a change but that doesn't always happen for everyone for most people like you don't you, you don't have like consistent epiphanies you know so Actual change takes time. And for me, it's, it's been like a gradual process. It's, you know, talking to different people, 
seeing their successes, reading, and just like positively affirming yourself. Like, why not? You know, why not? What are so since you've had this epiphany or this this change this mindset, what are some barriers you've run into? What are some things that you've kind of hit a wall and said, uh, I don't know, just any walls that you've hit along the way? Well, for sure, experience is one. I mean, you don't, we, we learn through experiences. And if you haven't had the experiences, I guess, you know, it's, it's tough to learn from. But you, you can learn from other people's experiences as well. So that's been a big barrier. It's like, okay, I want to get there. I don't know how. You know, I have, how do I get there? What do I have to do? Um, imagine if you didn't have a way to access people who have had that experience. And we access, access that through books, like me and Gabe were talking about earlier. You know, we learn a lot from books. And then now in this age, we learn a lot from video recordings, audio recordings, you know, just people talking. Um, so that barrier has been like, sort of buffered uh, shattered buffered a lot yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's it's been a, a blessing to like you know listen to different people that you would never really get in contact with connect with or probably even knew that they existed but you can hear them speak for yeah. like 30 seconds or you know a minute and then you can look them up all right this guy has he's got books he's got material he's got this and that and you look them up and then you start learning so then the next part has been action just we change the best through action. So if you want to change a certain behavior, um, the best way to do it is literally just by doing it. You know, that sounds stupid, but try it. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, you, you analyze and you try it again. Yeah. And then, you know, we are what we consistently do, right? That's the principle of neuroplasticity is like, just repetitiveness, repetitiveness. And Let's talk about neuroplasticity real quick because I think it's an important topic. What? Tell us a little bit about neuroplasticity. It's cool to talk to you actually because I'm realizing how much uh, physical therapy has to have a psychology background Huge. because you're just influencing change within people's behaviors to help achieve a certain goal in terms of um, recovery and repair of tissues, right? And behavioral change. And behavioral sure. change. Lifestyle yeah. change. Yeah. Lifestyle modifications is a big it's a big thing for us. So uh, I'm a neuro PT. So neuroplasticity is is a big concept that we, you know, strive to hear. And that's like the brain's ability to make or repair, you know, new make new or repair neural pathways. And we have neural pathways for everything. Literally everything you do is like a roadmap, just like even the way you think, you know, certain behavior like. If Gabe says, dude, you're, you suck, you know, that my, my neural pathway is leads me to a certain behavior or a certain emotion. Um, and you can change that simply by, by actively practicing like, okay, I might go to, to that. You automatically go to that pathway that's going to trigger me and, and make me upset and, and I'm going to be reactive. But this makes sense to you, right? Because this is what you guys do in, in therapy. It's like, okay, instead of that, you, you know, you might feel that, but come back, reflect, and then choose to to react in a different way. Be non-reactive or say, or set a boundary or something like that. So that um, that neuroplasticity, we use it in, in therapy to modify motor patterns, you know, 
walking or motivation, you know, like it's, it's such a broad stroke, (laughs) neuroplasticity. Like it's the way you make changes in your brain, you know, the way that clicks, the way everything's a a signal. The way I I view neuroplasticity is just almost like our brain being Play-Doh and still being malleable enough to be changed and molded to a different, in a different way. And I'll give you an example. We are all creatures of habit. So you might have the way we might have the same patterns, like you were saying, that we engage in daily. So now the question is, how do you break those patterns? Right. So adapting a new behavior. So, for instance, I might even start something as simple as, damn, Adrian, for the past year, you've been driving to the same path every time you go to the gym. You go up Ponce, you make a left on Coral Way, you make a right on 27th, you go on Pan American Drive. Dude, there's about 20 other ways to make it. So if I need to work my brain a little bit to work a little bit different and to be a little bit more conscious of my surroundings, let me just take a different road, right? Yeah. We're going to get to the same destination, but let's just challenge our brain to carve a new pathway to find something different. Yeah. And it's the same in so many so many instances in life and everything. Yeah. You might go to the gym and perform the same task over and over and over. After a while, those things just become automatic. Super. Right? So now, what is your body learning? Nothing. Your body's not learning. It's There's no more neurological adaptations taking place. There's no more restructuring of the brain. You are not learning anymore. Mm-mm. So why is somebody like a physical therapist, a personal trainer, or a therapist important? Because they force you to change those paths so you continue to go down and challenge you in a different way. Now your brain says, what what just happened? I have to recalibrate. I have to readjust. I have to find a different pathway to get to this end goal. Exactly. And so I think neuroplasticity is so important because I, I think humans as a whole don't recognize how ingrained their patterns are. It's like a roadmap. Hard, hard roadmap. Dude, if you tell me, where can I find... I worked with the homeless population. And people were like, how do you work with the homeless population? You're giving them medication on the street. That doesn't make sense. They're so unpredictable, you're never going to find them. I said, bro, once I got to know them, I was like, do you know where... you know where Carlos is going to be? Yes. On 10 a.m. every day, he's at this bus stop on this corner on Flagler in downtown, and he's sitting outside at 7-Eleven. How much do you want to bet? Why? Because we're creatures of habit. If I asked you, Klaus, where are you on Tuesdays at 7.30 in the morning? I'm getting up out of bed, dude. <laughs> okay, for, let's say 9.30. 9.30 in the morning. Tuesday, I'm waking up. Tuesday mornings at 9.30. Where are you? I'm either at the gym or on the road. But how often are you not, let's say, in the gym? or where? Okay, give me a time where you're somewhere consistently over and over and over again. Um, nine o'clock at night. Nine o'clock at night. Where are you? On the couch. On the couch. Always on the couch. Ready. Just zoned in. There you go, people. If you're out to get Klaus, he's on his couch I'm at nine o'clock. <laughs> you know where to find me. That's no secret. But sucked in. Yeah. No. It is a. It's a. It's a routine. You're yeah. right. We're we're creatures of routine, and in using the benefit of neuroplastic for physical therapists, like. We use neuroplasticity when something has, you know, like after a, an injury, a neurological injury, a, you know, like a stroke uh-huh. where that your brain cells die, you yeah. know, pretty much, and or 
or they're affected. So now there's a disruption in the roadmap that we got to make a new route to to have this motor pattern. But that applies to so many things, just like you said, like even a routine, you know, um, getting up at a at a new time or going to bed at a different time. It, the more you do it, the more automatic it becomes. And that's really the definition of neuroplasticity is that you can mold yourself to um, have a, a, a routine that's more automatic, mm-hmm. like you said. And if you want it to grow, you're not learning. If you want it to grow, you have to learn. You have to experience challenge. You have to impose error. You have to make errors. For us as PTs, I have to make and manipulate the environment to for it to be demanding, mm-hmm. for it to be challenging, for the for the person to make an error so that the brain can learn. There's this thing called like the principle of laziness, right? The the brain's principle of laziness. It's gonna choose the easiest route, brother. The the one that takes the least amount of energy, the least amount of thought. It's gonna it's gonna go that route. That's its automatic thing. It's and then path we, of least resistance, always path of path of least resistance. And the only way you can do that or change that is to bring it to your conscious. Like like you said, you gotta be conscious of it. Like okay, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So. I got to do it, you know? So yeah, neuroplasticity has been a super cool concept for me and seeing how it works, not only in PT, but in just behavioral change has been huge. Yeah, I think in life, the main thing I'm doing right now to challenge myself that is completely new is I've uh, completely, literally and figuratively figuratively immersed myself um, in cold plunging. So in cold water immersion. Yeah. And so I've been watching, bro. Cold water immersion is no joke. Um, everybody views it as just like when they say cold plunging, the more I've looked into the literature, people say cold plunging. I'm like, it's not a plunge because mm-hmm. a cold plunge is just literally a you dunk you, yourself you and you get in. out. Cold water immersion is sustained immersion in cold water between 40 to 50 degrees, or for some people, even less than that. Um, and how it's forced me to to dig deep man to to focus on breath work to focus on dissociation to focus on the the mental side of it besides the physical side and really trying to understand myself and and that shock of how you want to get out right away yeah um so i'm i'm diving deep into the literature uh just so i know why am i doing that and why is this effective or is this just placebo or what is going on with this, right? Um, what What's your opinion on, on cold plunging or cold water immersion? Um, it's it's kind of undeniable. Like the science is undeniable. You know, it's like no matter what you do, you're gonna have the same physiologic response, right? Which is like that hike in epinephrine. It's, a, it's an adrenaline rush. Like it's automatically you get in that cold plunge and you're like you know it's like it's like you turn on it's like you you get on fire some somehow but it's cold and um and you want to get out like you said so that physiological response is always going to happen and it's cool because you can access it you know that it cold water immersion you can always seek and like you know you're going to get that response and it's uncomfortable it really really is like it makes you want to get out um, so you have to consciously stay in, yeah. you know, the, the, the psych benefits are, you know, undeniable. You're going to get better 
at doing things that you don't really want to do, things that are uncomfortable. Um, and it teaches you how to like stay calm or, you know, if that's what you're practicing to do is stay calm in, in a, in a stressful situation. That's where you're, you're putting yourself in a stressful situation. That's what I looked at. Voluntarily. A guy, yeah. I looked at a guy today. I was like, the, the reason we're doing this is because our, our lives are not hard enough. And so this is going to help us when that shock comes. Right. So if I'm constantly putting myself in this, um, in this environment that shocks the sympathetic nervous system, yeah. my brain, my brain's alarm is telling me right away when you get in, it's saying, get out, get out. There's a siren going off in your head that says, why are you in here? You need to get out. This is too cold. And so by breathing through it and sitting in it, you start to realize, oh, wait, I can be calm in this very stressful environment. Absolutely. You know, that's the biggest benefit, dude. Like when I you, agree. when you talk about that sympathetic response there's so many aspects in life or in just in a daily routine where you're going to get a sympathetic response you know somebody pisses you off or you know you're really stressed out about something or you're nervous or you get anxious mm -hmm. you know anxiety is usually coupled with a sympathetic response and that that means like you got a high heart rate you know your your blood pressure's up your thoughts are running. You're, you're fight. You're fight or flight. Mm -hmm. That's that's the term that we use to describe a sympathetic response. And um, the cold water immersion is just, it's just another way to practice you handling a sympathetic response. It's like going to the gym for the specific effect of being comfortable in a stressful environment. Mm -hmm. So that part is super cool. I mean. And and cold water immersion is is uh, is just another tool, but there, you know there's another there's other ways to do that too, in, and getting comfortable in a sympathetic response like meditation or mindfulness is another, you know it it, it obviously like brings different effects because you're not putting yourself in a stressful environment, but you could encounter stressful environments, and you might not have a cold water pool, <laughs> so yeah. like you know like you you you're not gonna be able to jump in a pool just to cool off in the middle of the day, you yeah. know, that's not, it's not really as accessible. So there's other tools that you can use to like control yourself or, you know, just manage a sympathetic response. And it's super cool because it, it does teach you, it does teach you a, a nice lesson. Oh, I'm learning a lot about myself today. Um, I, I just, I set my alarm for three minutes and I got out in a minute and a half because I was just like, ah, today I don't want it. I don't want it today, but every other day I was doing three minutes for multiple rounds, stuff like that. But and I'm looking at different protocols. Yeah. But I know it's interesting to look at some people who come in and they'll put their feet in and they'll wait. And there's a guy who goes in and he only goes up to his waist. He says that his this his his technique is to go in up to his waist. He gets out for a little while and then he can go in. And me, I just I just go in. Like I I don't even think about it. I go in and I just breathe. And I don't even think about the process of going in. It's like I'm walking in, but you could see how people, there's a hesitation today. Another guy in the gym. It's so, it's actually so cool because being in that room where people are constantly putting, uh, going into that fight or flight response, going and stimulating themselves from the sympathetic uh, perspective, they get out and they smile. They get out and their guard is down. They get out and they have conversations when in that gym, most of the time, everybody has their headphones on and their AirPods in and nobody talks or engages in, in, in conversation. But all of a sudden, you get cold-ass water and people get out and they're like, <laughs> and they're giggling and shit. And it's like, 
it's so interesting that you put yourself in such a stimulating, uh, emotionally exhausting environment and you get out and you're more open and you're more not not even vulnerable. You're just more open. Uh, so I, I find that really interesting. And I think the same thing happens in a CrossFit gym when people are emotionally exhausted and putting themselves through all that stress. Now you're cheering on strangers and you're engaging and then there's an exchange and you're not alone in this anymore. So I think that there's some, I, I mean, I know that there is something in that cold water and something in these very stressful environments that brings people together. For sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's the adrenaline. It's like uh, you, you, man, I don't even, I don't know how to put it into words, but they're all similar in the respect you know, when you put yourself through a high intensity workout, you know, it's like you're driving this bus of really uncomfortable feelings. Like you're just on the bus. You get in the pool, you're on the bus. You're in a sympathetic bus. So when you get out, it's like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's good. Like, I'm great right now. That's not happening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm chilling. I'm, and I'm smiling. I feel good. How you feeling, bro? Yeah. You know, it's like. Oh, I'm good too. Mental battle though. I don't have access to a cold plunge, but I'm taking cold showers every morning, and I'm treating myself to warm showers on the weekends. So every morning, cold shower before I go to bed. Cold shower, whatever. But the mental aspect of getting in the shower is is sometimes like a ten to fifteen minute thing. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, could take a long time. You gotta go, bro. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. You miss the bus. But the good part is that you're doing it, right? If it's yeah. that challenging, like what is that doing for you on the neurological level? Yeah, so um at the neurological level, there's like a lot of benefits for cold exposure, right? Like, you know, reduction in pain is like another one. There's so many like different factors, like the psychological factor that we spoke about, um, the the visit like the the body functions part where it kind of like you know, you just bring yourself down. When you go to sleep, your temperature drops. And what wakes you up is that your temperature goes up. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you voluntarily go into this sympathetic state and then you kind of just drop, you know, and you get into a, a parasympathetic state, which, which is more relaxing. It's more rest and digest. It's like your heart rate drops. Your heart your rate is calm. Drops. Yeah. 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 I think, I think the parasympathetic state is like undervalued, you know, but um, the, the neurological effects, like you're building, you're building mental fortitude, like for sure. You're telling yourself, I'm going to do this right now. And you can do it. I, I've been in that position many times. First of all, my shower doesn't always get hot. So like, <laughs> what's up? What do you mean? I don't, my dude, I live in like an older apartment. So uh, we some, gotta get your new water heater, sometimes man. I think if I, if like I flush the toilet or something before it, done. that is hot, dude, I got to turn it off, turn it back on. But it took me a while to figure that out. So sometimes I've been like, damn, this thing is not getting warm <laughs> and I got to go. Just like Gabe says, like, <sighs> but it even still, even though I know I'm against the clock, I don't want to get in. Yeah. And dude, you, there's so many relatable feelings like starting a business, like pff, breaking up with someone or telling someone uh, something that's like a deep feeling for you, sharing a an emotional experience with someone that, you know, those are all the same feelings. It's, it's discomfort. You don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. 
so it, it's super it's super relatable it, it's 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 a way to simulate it it's a way to train so that neural part is is big for sure so what about so this is the part that i'm running into right I, i've been reading a lot of different studies in terms of when to use cold water immersion but it also depends on for what right mm-hmm. so and and i know that a lot of the studies i've been looking at kind of were there's a, there's back and forth there's a push and pull and let's say with muscle hypertrophy should i be going into a cold plunge even if it's just 3 minutes after a workout if what i'm looking for is hypertrophy from a pain standpoint and a soreness soreness standpoint yes now should i be shunting the blood that the blood flow that should be going into those muscles post workout should I be doing that? Should I be going into cold water afterwards if I'm expecting growth or strengthening? Yeah. So, <laughs> for for th- th- those are like really you know specific questions. Of course, to, yeah, you yeah. Know? And um, there's a lot of data that exists for those things that really look at like closely. You know, they're measuring significant data points that we don't really have the opportunity to measure on a daily basis. And when you're talking about hypertrophy, man, for someone just like a regular person, not not saying that you're you're a regular person. I'm a regular ass dude. You're a regular. Yeah. You're not you're not a pro athlete, right? I'm not, so, I mean, I, I mentally I am, but physically I'm not. Physically, you're, <laughs> dude, you're in shape, bro. That, that you take but good I'm, care of yourself. Like I'm not a pro athlete you, though. Yeah, but you're not. In, you're not in like peak athletic performance. Listen, right? if you put me in the ring in the UFC fight. Uh, 99 times out of 99 times, I'm gonna get my ass kicked, and those guys could, will smoke me. And how many of those guys are like have a lot of muscle mass? Not to not the, the guys who I'm thinking that are like my weight class that I'll be fighting in, which is probably 155. Um, some of them are a little bit dense, but no, not too many of them, right? Because the hypertrophy is not really the the goal there no it's speed and endurance and for sure and impact and power but for it's sure. not hypertrophy no. yeah yeah so to man hypertrophy is like just growth of muscle yeah. right there's so many factors involved with hypertrophy like training being probably the most important one okay and the way you train is probably the most important one the second one is nutrition so wait okay cool so if i'm using cold water i should be the the part where it's peak for building muscle to really get those nutrients in there is immediately post-workout right within two hours or am i mistaken i have no clue dude oh, okay. i have not read that oh, data. Right. like i i can't say that it's like yo this is the most optimal thing you know okay it's like that that's what the optimum that's what the study says right yeah. but looking at you you know we can't just take what the paper says and apply it to you because if you're just using cold water plunge to drive hypertrophy Without looking at anything else. Oh, yeah. No, there's so many other variables going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean. Because I went to a Palacio de los Jugos afterwards and I had Boniato, <laughs> Moros, and Pollo Asado with yeah. a little bed. So, I don't know how much that plays a role. Into, exactly. Dude. And then I'm going to have a cocktail tonight. So, how does that play a role into my sleep and rest and recovery? Sleep, I, rest, recovery. I get it. I, I hear you. Energy output into your to your session. You know, it, it's so difficult to take a, a specific paper and say, all right. You're not answering my question, bro. Does it <laughs> mess with my hypertrophy is what I'm asking. <laughs> yes or no? I don't know, I don't dude. <laughs> I don't know. So, and that's okay, bro. Yeah, you know, you. that's like studies exist to give us information. But like when you're making a, a decision 
there's so much involved. There's too many variables. Individually, yeah. anecdotally, and data. It's a it's a combination of all those things. So not only that, I tried to go into the cold water before I did go into the cold water before my workout yesterday. It was good. Um, but dude, when I, I it's not what I'm trying to do right when I go to the gym. I'm trying to warm up, I'm trying to loosen up, I'm trying to breathe, I'm trying to stretch, and then I'm trying to get into the workout. Then I go to the jacuzzi and then I go in the cold plunge. Like so much more rewarding, right? Versus And that's not in the study, guys. No, it's not in the study. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's it's not in the study. It's it's your it's the way you want to do it. Of course. Right. So um I just want to know that I guess part of me wants to my brain my brain wants the science to back my behaviors, right? But like you said, there's so many other variables that it's like, ugh, I don't know. And I just don't want to do something that's detrimental to the progress that I want to experience or have as a result of the work output that I'm that I'm committing to. Right, because you want to have optimal hypertrophy. I mean, yeah, I just want to make sure I'm not shunting <laughs> nutrients and blood flow to bro, my muscles. That need how it. would we even measure those things? You do a biopsy, bro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you gotta get in the lab. You yeah. gotta do. You know, how are you even measuring hypertrophy? Are you doing a bone density? Exactly, bro. Right there, baby. Exactly. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Go look in the mirror every day and tell yourself, I'm getting big. That's it. For for a week. After my workout. you're going to look big. You're going to see yourself bigger. <laughs> it's true. If that's the way we're going to measure measure hypertrophy. You just look at your muscles. Yeah. Look at them. Look they're bigger. Today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're bigger. Today, they're bigger. And it depends because if you do push-ups right before you look in the mirror, then they pump. won't be. Yeah, you got to pump. Got to pump. So... Uh, yeah, man. You know, like, oh, what's the best way to measure hypertrophy? Like, dude, Gabe, first of all, we got to measure hypertrophy. <laughs> He's telling me I'm asking stupid questions when I'm here, but it's okay. No, man. Yeah. There's no stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome questions. I'm literally giving you, um, there's no way to know, bro. That's just a fact. How are- This is science. We have to know. We have to know. There has to be an answer. Science the more you study science, the more you don't know, bro. You know, it's like... I know. And I already, I kind of already knew this, but in my head, I've been scrambling with this. It's like, wow. Like, am I doing the right thing? I got to do it before, after. Listen, bro, this is... You want to know what science... Maybe look, I'll do a set, jump is, in the pool, jump out, do a set. Listen, explain this to me. This guy? It's Pablo Escobar in a Mexican outfit, what? a mariachi outfit. Are you sure this is Pablo Escobar? <laughs> A real picture of Pablo Escobar and a mariachi. How do you know outfit? this is Pablo Escobar? That's a great question. Maybe it was made by AI. You see what I'm saying, bro? Not- Who says this is Pablo Escobar? Did Not- he sign this? <laughs> That would be crazy if it is, though. It is that's not what I pictured him to look it like. It is. Look, look. Hold on. Can you, can you get this? Can you get this right here? That's Pablo Escobar in a Mexican outfit, people. I don't know what he. Maybe he was ha- having a photo shoot. Back in the day, Maybe, bro. Yeah, I have no idea. So, yeah, man. Anyhow, <clears throat> whatever, man. Hey, bro. You know, <laughs> like you said, if you're you, you're cold water plunging, it's all. It's really about what it means to you at the end of the day. Um, if you want to really talk about like scientific outcomes, we don't really have the tools for that, but you can certainly come up with your own measures you know i what i can tell you anecdotally this is not research this is my own personal experience that's important is that i had a hip injury um that i i have not gotten an mri or anything but since i began cold plunging and stretching i have not mobility and range of motion has not been something that i worked on throughout my life 
um, I'm learning now at this age to focus a little bit more on that, not just warming up, but priming the muscle and really going through ranges of motion, really working ranges of motion, not just passive stretching. And, dude, my hip is feeling so good. I'm not going to push it. I'm addicted to HIIT training. I love HIIT training. I do. I love it. Like, I don't know what it is, but that, again, that sympathetic response, that dopamine, that group atmosphere, I love it. I love watching people next to me gasping for air, and I tell them, let's go. Let's go. And they go, because that shows me it's psychologically cool. that when there's there's strength in numbers and there's people cheering you on, even if it's a stranger, and you feel that they're telling you, no, let's go, that you got more in you. That's a fact. Dude, and so that I love. Like right now I feel I'm talking about this and You are you're ready. Dude, I love it, man. <laughs> I He's love ready it. to cold plunge, do a hit workout <laughs> after. But I can't. So I'm trying to be smarter with my body because I for too long I've been doing hit, 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 and I'm ignoring little injuries, and I don't want that to be worse. Hence a pec tendon tear, right? So I'm just trying to be a little bit more intelligent with my body because, yeah, I'm going to be 40, but I want this thing to kick when I'm 90 and 95 mm -hmm. if I can. If yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and, dude, like, um, HIT is so ama HIT is amazing. Everyone should – that's what, like, the recommendations are for you to – High intensity. Not necessarily high intensity, but there's uh, – the American College of Sports Medicine makes updates, like, often. Uh, I, I can't – I don't know if it's every year, but – they put out physical activity guidelines. And, of course, it's based on research. It's not just like, you know, dude from the gym saying you got to do this, this, and that. There's there's definitely research involved. And there's their recommendation is always either 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise or 75 minutes per week of high intensity or vigorous. And that's on the low end, huh? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's the minimum. Yeah, it's the minimum. You know, we're talking minimum. Gotcha. For other benefits, for sure, you want to go, yeah, but that's the minimum. Okay. And and there's been papers that really talk about how many people don't meet those requirements. It's a large number. I, I, I don't know right now, but it's probably like in the 60s percentage, 60, 70% of people don't meet physical activity guidelines. Don't quote me on that. Like, I, I don't. But I've read stuff on on it, and it's 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 not that much. People don't typically like meet those requirements, man. So, hit is amazing. <laughs> like, you do a high intensity workout for twenty minutes. I go to F forty five in uh in South Miami. Shout out F forty five. It's so fun. Shout out to Mark Wahlberg. Shout out Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> And Eddie Matos, he's the owner or whatever. Mark and Mark in the fucking butt. <laughs> if you know, you know. I, I don't know what Mark Wahlberg has to do with F45. Did he own it or something? Or did he, he must it? be one of the founders. Um, he's probably an investor for sure. Yeah. But it's a fun class. It's just a hit class. Yeah, it's a you hit know? class. It's hit and, and you go for 38, 40, you know, it's not always 45 minutes. You gotta explain stuff or whatever. That's a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> but you know whatever I, I see it on the watch yeah you're shout like, out f38 <laughs> f38 you know, the first f39 i did f45 for the first time in medellin oh you did yeah, yeah. it was fun uh, yeah and it was in spanish you see that's crazy oh, wow, bro that's we're international cool. <laughs> that's super cool bro so hit hits awesome you know but like you said it it is exhausting um and for someone who's untrained where they're not really you know, to do it every day is is gonna break down your body in a certain way. You know, especially if you're not sleeping, 
well or really getting in the macronutrients that you need to sustain those high level workouts and some ways to to like notice are you know your performance or if you actually slept or you did sleep well and you're not really feeling rested or if you're like just your brain fog you got brain fog you can't really think straight um the all that stuff is affected by the way your body feels how much exercise you're you're your how much energy you're, you're expending yeah because we have the same energy you use the same energy to think and to work out mm. it's the same one you know but it's just in a different place in the brain and then like in, at the muscular level so if you do hit every day i think you're gonna run into some some difficulty in sustaining that for a long period of time fuck oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> cut it cut it down bro <laughs> cut it down that's nah, a balance. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find that balance. It's I, a balance. I'm falling in love with yoga a lot more. I've been doing a lot more yoga. Yeah. So those physical activity guidelines, like aerobically, those that's for aerobic training, right? 150 minutes or 75 minutes of aerobic exercise. Mm-hmm. That could be walking, biking, cycling, or hit. The the good thing about like those hit classes is that they work in like resistance exercises, which is good. You should be also balancing that out with resistance exercise a couple of times a week so you should be lifting weights everyone should yeah everyone should be lifting weights um and you can lift weights at a light intensity at a moderate intensity you know you can really pick those ways like let's say you do a hit training today tomorrow you can have just like a light lift maybe you you know you do some some reps you hit a couple of muscles you don't have to go super heavy where you're like the next day you're sore, but you're recovering. You know, it allows you to recover enough to maybe do a hit the next day. Gotcha. You know, where you can really put out as much as you did the first day. Mm. So it exercise is so fun. It's uh it's super important. Um, it's scary for a lot of people, but if you if you just start, you know, by doing do trying things out, seeing what you enjoy. Like, it's good that Adrian says, hey, I like hit. I'm falling more in love with yoga. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, oh, I really like taking a walk uh, at lunchtime. You know, I love when people say those things because that's what's really going to give you a consistent behavior. You know? Finding something that you actually enjoy. Yeah, man. Dancing, salsa dancing. Dancing. Some people, you know, that's why Zumba was so big, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, people had fun at Zumba. Yeah. You know, it's fun. It's enjoyable. Exercise should be enjoyable. Shouldn't feel like a punishment. It should not feel like a punishment. Granted, you know, there's going to be some days where you don't want to exercise. It's just like you don't want to get in the cold plunge pool. Do you think people are taking things like fat shaming or or, um, just body image distortions and using that? uh, We're being told, accept, like love your body, love yourself, and which I agree with 100%. But is that also giving a, a license to people to just avoid exercise altogether? I don't think anyone should avoid exercise. But I think I'm saying society-wise, I think society is painting this image, like, just accept yourself. But it's like, no, it's okay if you're obese. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're physically active and overweight or obese, then at least you're doing something preventative to to limit some of the other chronic conditions that can result. Um no, you don't have to be a fitness model. You don't have to be on the cover of Men's Health, and you don't have to be, uh, I don't know if Maxim Magazine is even a thing anymore, but you, like, you don't have to be a, a female Instagram fitness influencer. Like, You can be overweight or just have your body type where maybe you're carrying a little bit more weight, but what matters is that you're physically active. 
yeah. that you're doing something with yourself because otherwise you'll atrophy, you can, you, you know, forget diabetes, uh, heart disease down the road, peripheral vascular disease, bone density issues with osteoporosis. I mean, I could go on and on, but I just don't want to give people the license to say, oh, I don't have to work out because I love my body. Yes, love your body, but regardless of its shape, work it, move it, do something. I agree with you um, a thousand percent. You know, I mean, I think self-love is super important. And I think body shaming is also not cool. You know, you shouldn't shame someone into doing something. I think that's probably the worst way to to have a change or yeah. to make someone make a change is to shame someone, which is um, it's like, uh, well, if you're not doing this, you're not going to be effective. It, that There's a shame component. So it's like, oh, man, I'm not doing that. So maybe I'm not good enough, you know, like whatever, you know, well, it's a spiral, but uh, I don't think body shaming is cool. And in terms of accepting, you can accept something and still be unsatisfied with it, you know, and be like, all right, yeah, this is where I am. I do love my body where it is. Uh, at the same time, I'm not satisfied with, with that. And, um, the health benefits of physical activity are like undeniable. You know, you you can't at the end of the day, it just comes out to if you value your health, Yeah. if you value your health or not. You know, I think body shaming and all those things are kind of like a barrier for sure. Mm -hmm. But to, to give someone an excuse to like not actually, I don't think anyone should exercise regardless of anything avoiding exercise is just a bad idea mm -hmm. avoiding any physical activity is a bad idea and i'll say that to anyone even if they're experiencing body shaming issues because as a physical therapist that's my job is to you know help someone become mobile become physically active and embrace that part and use that as a tool to combat other things so if I encounter someone that has body shaming issues, first of all, I'm going to need a team. I'm going to need you, Adrian, mm -hmm. to come and address that, right? That's because that's a psychological issue. Of course. I need, I need Adrian to come in and address body shaming. And or like body image distortion. Body right? image distortion. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Or body, you know, disorders or anything like mm -hmm. that. We need to address that through care. And then... Then you need to educate them and encourage them to engage in meaningful and joyful physical activity. It's got to feel good, bro. Yeah. Not go run. Just run and suffer. Run. Hey, you're obese. <laughs> go run or you're going to die. No, no, you know, like it's not work. the way. It's just not the way. So um, it's uh, physical activity is undeniable. You, you, can you imagine just like not moving? No, man. Nah. I can because I see it, you know, like when you have a, you know, you have a patient who's had a stroke or you had a brain injury, you can't, you get compromised mobility. You can't move. You can't, dude, we take, we take it for granted, oh, yeah. you know, to, to get up and walk and go take a piss or get yourself a cup of water or just like switch positions. Yeah. You people know? don't realize it until they do suffer an injury. Unfortunately, a lot of, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people don't realize like how tough it is. They have no idea. Yeah. But once you can't move something, once even any part of your body is pinned, mm -hmm. 
or just not functional, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is important. Yeah, 100%. Dude. I, I I think about that I like if I go on a run or if I go on a walk, it's like, fuck, like, I don't want to do this right now, but like I'm thinking about whoever I'm treating. You know, like this person would literally give you know, an insurmountable amount of anything to be able to walk and take these steps. Yeah. So, bro, like, if you're not doing physical activity, you're doing a disservice to yourself. Uh, You're not valuing your health, even if, you know, you, whatever, even if those factors exist in terms of, like, body shaming. And, uh, and I think that I've read some things about, using those things like a physique or something to drive, you know, your physical activity, which is cool. I mean, you know, everybody want to be sexy, you know, that's, yeah. that's, you know, you look good, you feel good. It, it, uh, it, you know, like it raises your confidence a lot, but the truth is, man, if you just switch, if you focus on the health, if you have someone, if you show them the health benefits of how much, disease you're preventing just by being physically active or reducing the risk or combating depression those are significant enough like but i feel like people don't have that long-term vision man they don't know though you know uh, man we we only do the best we can with what we know if someone truly knew the benefits of physical activity i don't i don't know that anyone i'm gonna argue i mean i i i I hear you a hundred percent i hear you but I, I just want to say that people just lack that long-term vision or they don't... I'm not sure if it's just a lack of discipline or lack of desire or just... I don't know if it's lack of education. I feel like there's so much education out there. I, I don't think it's that. I think we know that you need physical activity to, to prevent these diseases. I just think people don't see it until it's too late because they don't have the long-term vision. And because maybe they see it as a punishment because they've been taught that. And because they're not doing things that are enjoyable to themselves, right? Because yeah. if, if I enjoy, I enjoy hit, fine. But if you put me in a Zumba class, I might not enjoy the Zumba class, right? Yeah. Or before I wasn't enjoying yoga because I didn't understand it. And now I'm really saying, oh, wow, there's breath work. Oh, wow, this hold, I, I was doing it wrong before. Now I feel the stretch where it should be. Right. Oh, wow, this is causing some different adaptations Oh, I'm seeing a little bit more range here because I've been doing this consistently. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I know I need to stretch. I know it's going to help me, but it's also like, damn, I kind of don't like doing it, so I don't want to, so I won't do it. So it's like it's it's a it's a whole it's it's a it's a bag of shit, man. <laughs> you, yeah, dog, hundred <laughs> percent. But this that's that's why I love uh, what I do because um, it's a uh, it's a pleasure to help people find some consistent movement that they just enjoy and can participate in you're right there's plenty of education and education alone and information alone is not enough to drive a change yeah can't be it's not um where i think people run into it's like you like you like it because you tried it you know you like it you tried it you know but maybe someone who's untrained never exercised before doesn't know what hit even means, yeah. bro. So it's like, I think uh, there's a guidance piece. You know, so many people, man, it, it, it's weird for us because, you know, we live active lifestyles. Mm-hmm. You're constantly in the gym. 
you know, we we spend time together by shooting hoops yeah. or whatever, or you know, we're walking somewhere. That's that's the lifestyle we live. But so many people don't live that lifestyle. They don't know it it exists or how to do it. So take a person, I don't know, a forty year old person who's like never stepped foot in a gym. They go to the doctor. They got you know diabetes or something. And the doctor's gonna tell them, hey, you gotta exercise. You gotta exercise, dude, or change your diet. Mm-hmm. And the, there's like, okay, but, yeah, that's it. That's the information that they get at that point. You need to exercise, change your diet. And they know that already. And it's a blank, it's a script that's so broad that they don't even know what, what to do with it. So many people know that that's likely going to be the answer that they receive that it's like dreadful to hear it. It's like, oh, damn, I got to exercise. You're telling me I got to exercise and change my diet? Fuck, I reached that point. Um, and they just don't know how, bro. They don't know how. Like, how do you start doing anything <laughs> not only that like when you walk into a gym i'm very familiar with the gym and there's still times where i walk in and i'm like damn there's a lot going on right now bro it's six in the morning and these people everybody's like energized and moving around and hold. let me just get into my so zone so many here. factors man yeah so many factors so um us as healthcare practitioners and me as a physical therapist it allows me to spend time with people and i can really like find out what the barriers are what do you know about exercise um you know, what do you know about it? No, nah, yeah, I know it's like important. You know, like, <laughs> they give you the general info, but they don't know how to how to fit it in their lives or in their daily routine, or they don't know that maybe just going for a walk for thirty minutes is a good way to start. They don't have that, and they think that maybe they got to go to the gym every day, six all or nothing type stuff, because that's what they see. You know, when you go on Instagram, you see people who are doing crazy workout routines, and maybe now you associate working out with that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be at that level you know it can maybe get to that level if you wanted it to but it doesn't have to start that way and so uh, so what advice would you give to that 40 year old person who's sedentary who gets the news like hey you're diabetic or you're on the verge of becoming diabetic and they just say they get that script that says you need to work out you need to improve your diet what are actionable steps that that person should take? That's a good question, man. Um, that's where I think that we sort of, as a healthcare system, don't fill that gap. We don't fill that gap. Personal trainers are amazing, right? Because, um, you know, they help people exercise. They motivate them. They make a plan for them. Um, but maybe a lot of people can't afford a personal trainer, yeah. you know. Or a lot of people don't want to step foot in a gym because it's a scary place, you know? So um, it's really hard. I would would say the best, man, the best way to get people going is just to get them to walk. Like, dude, it's so important to walk. Like, how many studies have you read, Adrian, with, like, you know, certain amount of steps per day um, that are associated with, like, all cause mortality like people who walk more have a lower mortality rate yeah. mortality rate so walking is like so undervalued for me it's like um it's like so important i think that's probably the best way to part it's something that they already do and i i get this a lot it's like hey do, do you walk and they're like yeah at work yeah of course i walk oh, yeah. i'm always fucking you know i'm, I'm always, always walking on my feet. Yeah. i'm always on my feet bro i work here yeah, i walk yeah, there yeah. I'm, <laughs> 
that's the general response. But dude, walking for 30 minutes consistently, you know, at a continuous pace is a lot different. Yeah. It's a lot different. So, and maybe you don't have to start there. I don't have 30 minutes. All right, well, maybe you have 10 minutes. You know, you can walk 10 minutes in the morning. 10 and minutes 10 during minutes lunch, at night. 10 minutes at night, yeah. For Break sure, for sure. So you want to accumulate, you want you want to build on physical activity, you know, or what, hey, what's a, what's something that you really, really enjoy? Like, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to call it physical activity or exercise. Like, oh, I like, uh, whatever, walking on the beach or I like to golf or, you know, I like gardening, gardening, yeah. gardening. So bro, gardening is great. Go ahead and garden. How much are you gardening? You know? Oh, um, I don't garden as much because like I got pain or here or whatever. Dude, go ahead and garden. Like, <laughs> garden for like two hours tomorrow. <laughs> whatever. Just promote physical activities is uh is encouraging. And then if you can, I mean, I'm in a position where I can provide some advice, some real, real advice, and and I can spend time with a person. So I, I I'm I'm a trained wellness coach. I I paid a course to learn about wellness and that is has helped me so much in getting people to spark a change um it has to come from them you know it's got to come from the inside like it's got to be tied to what they value what they inspire to be you know what like i can't just be like all right you're gonna here's a plan you know, you're going to walk 30 minutes, five times a day, five times a week. After that, you're going to stretch for 20 minutes. Yeah. They look at it, they're like, it's overwhelming, dude. Yeah. How does, how am I going to fit this in my life? So, um, it's, it's really important for, even for, for personal trainers to like really dive in and ask questions and be interrogative and curious about this person that's in front of you and what their barriers are for exercise. And how you can help them get started in a way that's feasible, number one, and enjoyable. And that's how you start, man. That's what I would advise. To doctors and stuff, man, uh, doctors don't get a lot of training on exercise or on nutrition. And, man, they know so much. Like, doctors get so much education in a short amount of time. I'm kind of glad that they don't because, I mean... They were, their heads were, would explode. I know so many physicians. I, I respect physicians so much. Generally, they all care. You know, most yeah. most of them really want to see an impact, um, make an impact in their patient's life. But they, they just they can't hit all the aspects. They can't. Like, there's all right. too much to cover in a in a fifteen to twenty minute slot that they're allotted by the insurance company. I'm gonna basically. teach this person to exercise, and then I'm gonna teach them to eat right. Then I'm gonna talk to them about sleep hygiene, and I'm gonna look at the cholesterol and their, their and analyze their labs. Yeah, no. In 15 minutes, no way. No way. It's it's not even possible. Not so possible. I think uh, this is why I uh, interdisciplinary team like creating a network. I asked you yesterday, Adrian, do you have you know, take rehab clients? Because I need your help. I can't do it all. We none of us can do it all. No doctors. No trainers, no no one can can do it all. I think there's those professions exist for specific reasons, and they have a lot to offer people: RDS, nutritionists, personal trainers, therapists. Everyone's got to work together, and I think that's a big, big problem in healthcare is that no one likes to talk. 
and everybody's working in silos. Everybody's working individually on their own little individually. Islands, but it goes back to the system itself and how it's insurance driven and it's uh, you know a paper you know uh, what do you call it paper service paper service um, uh, system. And so what happens is that's it. You I deliver the care to you. And then that's it. You're not my responsibility anymore. You're out the door and I'm seeing the next patient. I'm not thinking, damn, I got to contact the dietitian, et cetera. Going back to what you were saying, I actually did a couple of, uh, I wrote a couple of papers on the power of the prescription for exercise. So a simple paper writing down, at least writing down exactly what you said. It could be the American College of Sports Medicine uh, recommendation or the, the American Heart Association recommendation, but writing it on a physical script and handing that to the patient carried a lot more weight than somebody just saying, you need to exercise. Like saying, oh, you need to 30 minutes of vigorous exercise. Find mm-hmm. something you enjoy. Here you go. Put that on your fridge. Figure it out. And yeah. so at least that way, it's not just a recommendation that you're giving. It's an actual order that you're providing for the patient whether it's a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, or an MD. Um, and that itself was very influential in the outcomes in terms of those patients who were receiving that script. Yeah. Because um, yeah. they just need that authority figure sometimes to say, hey, you need to do this. Yeah. Find a way that's enjoyable for you, but you need to do it. Yeah. It's it's a plan. Yeah. You know, you're, you're giving them a plan where they don't have to think about it as much. Um, but exercise, the effects of exercise are slow, you know? That's the truth. You know, you're not going to like, they're, they're not a magic pill, you know, it's work, it's gritty, but it's, it's, it's a holistic way, a truly holistic way to make a change in your health. So sometimes, man, it's like a dog, I've, I've been walking every day or whatever, or, you know, I'm still not losing weight or, you know, I still got pain. It's a, it's a slow process. So, um, to, for it to be sustainable, the person really has to decide to exercise. You know, if you can give that, you can give them a plan all they want, but at, at a certain point, they're going to lose interest in it because it didn't come from them. Yeah, they have to have buy-in for sure. Yeah, they, they got to... They and gotta, it can't be the person's wife saying, hey, my husband needs to exercise. Can you tell him to exercise? They hate that. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing here. When That's when, the... No, wait. First of all, none of us like to be told what to do. <laughs> Nobody, especially males. And, and you know... Hell, I don't like that. You know, I don't I don't like anyone to be like you need to go do this. Yeah. Yeah, right away you become resistant. For sure. You want to push it away. Yeah, yeah. So um I probably encouraging people is probably the best way and and having them maybe them having them make a plan. Hey, let's sit down and let's write this plan. You write it. Yeah. What's uh what do you want to do? I want to walk. All right, cool. How many times? Two. For how long? 15 minutes. Okay. Write it down. Yeah. You just ask them a question. You're just asking open-ended questions and guiding them to make a plan. And that's kind of like what I've taken from the wellness course is that, man, just uh, imposing yourself can lead to like, like it's not a sustainable change. Mm -hmm. The true, true neuroplastic change comes from like someone who made that decision on their own. Like you're making the decision on your own to cold plunge. No one told you to cold plunge. If I tell Gabe right now, Gabe, go cold plunge right now, every day for two weeks. You're gonna, you're not gonna want to do it. He's not gonna do it, unless he says one day, 
I want a cold plunge. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's worth exploring. It's definitely worth exploring to see what the person's real interests are, values, and then tying that in with exercise. So that super different approach. That's what that's what I hope to do when we talk about entrepreneurship. I want to blend those principles in with therapy because not you know even like you said the the psychological component in in rehab is it's it's undeniable Mm -hmm. in anything in acl repairs it's like a known fact you have an acl injury your return to sport and your outcomes and your rate of reoccurrence and injury all that stuff is affected by what your psychological state is and there's ways to measure it you know there's we have screening tools for those things so if i find someone who's had like you know fear avoidance or like pain catastrophizing those are terms like i need a psych person to help to help them to to go down that rabbit hole that i can't really go mm-hmm. through you know so it, it, it's um you got to tie in psych. You got to ask people for help. And that's what I hope to do. I hope to get like a multidisciplinary team to take it a, a, a different route. You know, it's not just exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise is a small component of health. It's a, it, it's super impactful, but it's equally as important as somebody's psychological state, as someone's emotional state, as someone's financial state. All those things are like separate but related in 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 health and wellness. Absolutely. So you gotta take the biopsychosocial model, man. That's where that's where I I really really appreciate what we get to do, and that's what I hope to bring in in my future, my practice. Well, I can tell you this, Klaus, is that um, it sounds like it's already like it's all in your head already, and all it is is putting it into action. And I can promise you this, just listening to you, the passion that you bring, the education that you have, your professionalism, and the fact that you care so much, it's already going to be successful. Now, numbers-wise, what success means, that's up to you, right? But I I promise you, if if the measure of success is the impact that you're going to have on people, forget about it. Dope. All right. I appreciate that. Pleasure man. pleasure to sit here with you today, man. Awesome time. I had so much fun. Where can people find you, Klaus? Um, so I got my my actual business page, which I just started. It's brand new. There's probably like three or four posts on it. Cool. It's called uh Gateway. Cool. That's gate spelled like gate, which is walking. That's a play G- on words. So G A I T. G A I T Way R W. That's it. So the RW is for rehab and wellness. Okay, awesome. The actual company is Gateway Rehab and Wellness. Perfect. So, uh, you can find me there or just find me on Instagram. My name is Klaus with a K. There's not that many Klauses. You can just shoot me a message, man. I love to chat. I love to connect. Whatever. All right, and we'll put we'll put your name right 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 over here. Right, right there. Right there. <laughs> it's actually Gateway Rehab. Look at that. There you go. Yeah, it's it's Gateway Rehab. That's the Instagram handle, and the website is GatewayRW.com. Perfect. There you All go. Right. Appreciate awesome. that, man. Oh, hey, thanks for coming on, bro. It's a pleasure. Awesome bro. time. Awesome time. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Benefits. Benefits. Bro, how much time was that? Probably I feel like two that. Hours. Lou. Yeah. Two hours. Wow. Doesn't feel like it though. At all. I. At all. We covered like twenty all. topics. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs>
It was awesome to see both of you guys ping pong. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just the the whole like terminology, knowledge points that you both have come across, have in common, ran through your practice. I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot. What'd you learn, bro? Just out of curiosity. I mean, bro. Uh, hypo. What is it? Hypo. Oh, hypertrophy. Hypertrophy. Yeah, like Muscle the building. Extens- extensive. Extensivity in that, yeah. Building muscle. Building yeah. muscle. How it's completely different from everybody. How you can't necessarily write up a prescription of success for no, you, just like I can for you. It's individualized. It's individualized. Um, dude, I. <laughs> <laughs> dude, just like, grab a quick photo. You have that camera work? Yeah, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. Oh, hey, throw on the headphones so we look like uh, we're just having uh, regular. Fun. I was gonna do a mid podcast, but I don't want to ruin the audio. Nah, you're good. And then we'll do it. Phone too, so I can post on IG. So we're just like we're just having a conversation. Benefits. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we even started. I hate with that. benefits, bro. Do you know how many people have offered me a job like and try to like, yeah, but the benefits are really great. The, you like, should definitely take it because of the benefits. I'm like, um, that income can you come up a little higher? They're like no, but we have great benefits. The, benef- well, the when, benefits. When I worked at Camilla's house, bro, it was the pay was so low, and they were just like, but the benefits are great. We have this HERSA <laughs> loan that the government is going to repay your loans up to $30,000. Guess what? When I applied for the HERSA loan, the government was like, sorry, we ran out of money. Insane, dude. Benefits are so, like, trash. Oh. Don't stop talking. Oh, don't right, stop so, talking. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, dude, it's like the only benefit that I really, really like and miss i don't have benefits anymore i'm a per diem therapist and i do my own stuff now so the only benefit that i miss is paid time off that is the best benefit pto pto yeah you talk about pto now you got my attention <laughs> otherwise well, let's get one of us like oh go ahead go ahead otherwise get one of us both looking here and I, oh. otherwise like health insurance and stuff dude like yeah you get some some like cost reduction but if you buy insurance on the market, it's, it's really not that much more expensive for the amount of money that you're leaving on the table. So, ah, sorry. Right, go ahead. Are we good? All right, yeah. so turn around. There you go. <laughs> Lit. Lit. Awesome, Klaus. Awesome. Yeah, man. bro. It's... Uh, Shooting one. <laughs> oh, he forgot to hit record. We gotta do it again. Talk to me about everything. Everything. I just like that. Um, 